All right, we continue the conversation on the talking point. It's 18 minutes after 11 o'clock. And as always, as we do on a Wednesday morning for the final hour of the show, we focus on our health talk. And today we're going to be focusing on the liver. Uh, Dr. Mark Ostrowski is a specialist physician and a fellow in medical. Uh, Dr. Ostrowski, I'm going to try and get this right, uh, gastroenterology and hepatology at the Charlotte Matlake Academic Hospital and the Witz Donald Gordon Medical Center. Uh, good morning and thank you for your time today. Hi, good morning. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. So the easy part is that we're talking about the liver. That's a lot easier to explain. But let's perhaps just talk about the field of work that you work in and give our listeners a sense of what it is um, that you do so that people are able to really appreciate that and are able to call in. Because what we'll do is that later on we'll be opening the call lines and I don't want people to be limited in terms of the questions that uh, they may want to put to you. Absolutely, Cathy. Well, first of all, thanks again for uh, for giving me the opportunity to uh, you know to, to be on your on your show. Uh, so yes, yeah, so I'm a I'm a gastroenterologist and hepatologist, and uh, I'm based at the Charlotte Maxeke Johannesburg Academic Hospital. I'm also based at the uh, Sandton Medi Clinic. Um, I work at both places, uh, and we really see a wide array of uh, gastroenterological diseases. Um, uh, previously, when I, I was on the show, we had discussed extensively about constipation, and it's just one of the many uh, you know, conditions that we we see and we consult upon. Uh, so I know you see, you know sort of today we we're going to focus more on the liver, but uh, you know in terms of what gastroenterologists do, it's uh, it's quite a quite a complex uh, and detailed uh, area. Uh, so we have to sort of focus on on a specific area like today's the liver, but really any GR issues, any abdominal issues, um, sort of ranging really from all the way from the mouth all the way down to the backside, we and everywhere in between we deal with. I think that's a perfect way of putting it, uh, Dr. Mark. Let's then talk about the liver, the importance of the liver, the kind of functions that the liver plays in the body. Sure. So, look, the liver is uh, of absolute paramount importance um, as an organ in our body uh, to the point where one cannot survive without a liver. So, you know, it really plays so many vital, vital, vital uh, parts uh, in terms of nutrition, digestion, production of, uh, of, of various elements in the body, proteins, and, 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 and so very important factors. It also plays a very important role in detoxification um, of the blood. So toxins, which we'll, I'm sure, talk about a little bit later. Uh, for example, alcohol, the liver breaks down alcohol and helps with excretion. So, you know, it, it really is a fundamental organ in, in terms of detoxifying the blood as well as playing a very important role in nutrition. Many people, of course, will want to know how it is that we keep our liver healthy and functioning optimally. Of course, if you go into the market, there are all sorts of remedies and concoctions that uh, promise to cleanse the liver and keep it you know, uh, in a good state so that it's able to fulfill, fulfill uh, some of these functions of detoxifying that you speak about. Yeah. So there are there are a multitude of uh, you know of of um, therapies so to speak out there uh, that's advertised to you know help your liver perform to its best ability. In truth, there's not very much evidence for any of these substances, and really, 
it's it's what we put in uh, to our bodies that really helps our liver. Uh, in terms of just general, you know, healthy diet, exercise, living a healthy lifestyle, and really trying to avoid um, putting excessive toxins into our body, those would be the, the that, that would be the ideal way of looking after ourselves, rather than using, you know, these sort of vitamins that are advertised without really any great evidence. So it would really be a well-balanced diet, exercise, good fluid intake, uh, you know, and, and just really general well-being that would really help your liver. Uh, do its thing. When we look at the South African population and perhaps disease profile, when it comes to the liver, what do you find that becomes the general disease profile uh, among South Africans? Sure, so that's a that's a great question, uh, and it's very relevant. Uh, so you know, within our within Sub-Saharan Africa, and obviously within South Africa. Chronic hepatitis B uh, and, and chronic hepatitis C are very, very important conditions of uh, chronic liver disease, uh, particularly chronic hepatitis B. Uh, and uh, as I would hope the listeners are aware, the, 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 the way that hepatitis B is spread uh, is the same way as HIV, so through sexual transmission, bodily fluids, uh, you know, intravenous drug use, and that sort of a thing. So uh, it's an incredibly important disease process and we we are seeing it often thankfully we do have a vaccination program uh, to try and prevent uh you know first of all mother to child transmission but also as the children are are growing up they get vaccinated and the hope is to prevent uh you know acquisition of this virus uh, during later you know childhood and adult years uh, the one concern that we are having and you know is with covid uh, there's been obviously a bit of apprehension with uh, people going for their general health checks, general vaccinations, and that sort of uh, that sort of thing, and so what we are hoping is that people will still continue to vaccinate against hepatitis B, as that is really a prevalent issue in our country. Uh, so, so that would be sort of your viral causes, and there's a whole host of other causes of chronic liver disease. Um, obviously, alcohol, uh, and I'm sure again we'll touch on it later, but alcohol, excessive alcohol use is a very important cause, uh, as well as the, the metabolic causes. So, you know, people who are significantly overweight, those who have diabetes, high blood pressure, cholesterol issues, tend to also have fatty deposition in the liver. And we're seeing more and more of that uh, in South Africa. There's also a host of other causes which we can sort of delve into later on. Let's talk about hepatitis B. What what sure. is this this virus? And you say that uh, you know it's it's transmitted largely in the way that HIV is. And you've given us another uh, couple of examples for for how it is spread. Sure. So look, it is a it is a virus, uh, mm. and most of the people most people who contract hepatitis B, the vast majority, will in their own way. So excuse me, one sec. They will mostly. Uh, be able to clear the virus themselves. However, the problem with hepatitis B comes in when it becomes a chronic infection. And if it becomes a chronic infection, that is where we are seeing the, the big issues. Uh, and, and, and the biggest concern with us is twofold. Number one, it's cirrhosis of the liver developing. So that is where the liver becomes completely scarred and hard and fibrotic. Uh, and with that, the risk of developing hepatocellular carcinoma, which is a cancer, a primary cancer of the liver, is significantly elevated. So, so what we do, uh, particularly uh, it's worldwide, but what we do in our, in our liver clinic here at the Joburg General Hospital at Charlotte, 
uh, is we have uh, our chronic hepatitis B patients. We enlist them in a surveillance program, and that involves uh, annual or biannual ultrasounds together with blood tests to really screen these patients adequately to pick up any early features of cancer or of cirrhosis. We also will treat patients as, as and when appropriate. Not every single patient with chronic hepatitis B needs therapy, but we have indications for when we, when we would give the, the therapy that's required. So when the virus is first picked up, um, what, what process is done to, to reach a diagnosis? Okay, so, so often, very often, the diagnosis is, is an incidental one. So uh, a patient may present for something completely you know, un- unknown or they may have a medical test and there might be an issue of, uh, of some, some derangement in the liver function test. And that might be an indication that there is some inflammatory process going on in the liver. And at that point, one would request a hepatitis B uh, serology, which we would sort of interpret as it comes back. Uh, so that would really be the time that we would do the test. We don't test every single person for hepatitis B. If the liver function is completely normal uh, and there's no reason to suspect it, we don't check it in every patient. In every single patient, however, who is HIV positive, we do check the hepatitis B profiling because uh, it, is very, it is very important and it has implications for the therapy that they're going to be on. So, you know, once we do the test, if we find that um, the, 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 the test is positive for hepatitis B, we then go down a different paradigm of workup in these patients before deciding on the next step. Dr. Mark, perhaps talk to us a little bit about then the symptoms for hepatitis B. Okay, so again, a lot of the time, patients may be asymptomatic completely, and it may be picked up incidentally, right? However, uh, there are features that patients can present with if they have got acute hepatitis B, and that means that a patient presents, um, you know, after being infected fairly recently with the virus, and they go on to, to present with severe jaundice, so yellowing of the eyes, uh, and they may have severe abdominal pain, particularly in the right upper quadrant, that is where the liver is situated, and uh, they may experience some significant nausea and vomiting. Uh, you know, that, that is how a patient with acute hepatitis B may present. Uh, unfortunately, there are times when acute hepatitis B causes liver failure, uh, and in those cases, um, these patients are often confused, they're deeply jaundiced, they may have lots of bruising uh, on their skin, and uh, they often require uh, a level of care such that of intensive care. Uh, so that would be how the acute presentation would be. Chronic hepatitis B, again, either the patient will be asymptomatic or they may in fact present with features of cirrhosis uh, and decompensation thereof. Um, patients may have very distended swollen bellies and that actually falls with fluid. That fluid is called ascites. Uh, again, they may be jaundiced, they may be a little bit confused, uh, and they may also have some more alarming features in the form of vomiting up of blood or even having black stools or, or even having blood in their stools. So those are the sort of symptoms that patients mm-hmm. may present with, with chronic hepatitis B complicated by cirrhosis of the liver.
Dr. Mark Ostrowski is a specialist physician. And, of course, uh, we're talking about the liver today. That is our focus. I'll be taking your calls on 011-714-2006 for any questions you want to pose uh, to Dr. Mark. It's 11.30. Let me take you to the latest news headlines. Thanks, Cathy. Good morning. In the headlines, the Tembisa Provincial Tertiary Hospital in Ekuruleni has been temporarily closed after a police officer shot and killed his nursing assistant partner. Associate Professor of Sociology Karen Ransiman has attributed the decline in vaccine hesitancy in the country to the success of some of the public health messaging. This follows a study by the University of Johannesburg. And advocate Dalimpo has lambasted the General Counsel of the Bar for calling for his removal from the Judicial Service Commission as a commissioner. I'll have details on these and other stories at 12. Hashtag SAFM Talking Point. All right, we continue the conversation on the talking point. And again, for our health segment, if you've got specific questions you want to ask Dr. Mark, which concern uh, the functioning of your liver, you can uh, also WhatsApp those questions on 0614-104-107. You can do it by way of SMS or even WhatsApp voice notes. And of course, on Twitter, it's at SFM Radio. The hashtag there is SFM Talking Point. Of course, we've talked a bit about hepatitis B which is uh, one of the more concerning uh, disease profiles where, which uh, concern the liver in, in the country and Dr. Mark also spoke a bit about hepatitis, hepatitis uh, C. So Dr. Mark, what's the difference between the two? Okay, so there are actually different, uh, there are different viruses, right? Mm. A group of, of, of what's called the hepatitis, right? Uh, chronic hepatitis is far less prevalent. Uh, it's uh, again, it's, it's transmitted in a similar way, though, as you know, as, as as hepatitis B and HIV. Again, via you know bodily fluids and blood, uh, it tends to occur quite frequently in intravenous drug users, uh, and also from people who received blood products uh, back in the old days. So, with the blood transfusions in the pre 1990s, before the blood was checked. Uh, as, uh, as you know, uh, more specifically as it is today. Uh, mm. And again, the, you know, the chronic hepatitis C, it's got various genotypes. And actually what's, what's amazing, and there's been huge advances with this particular uh, virus, is in, in 2022, uh, we're actually able to cure this disease. Uh, and that was uh, something that was, was not the case previously. Uh, so that's been really some huge steps that have been made in the hepatology world uh, you know, in the last few years. Let's quickly move on to the issue of the use of alcohol and the impact sure. on the liver. You spoke more broadly about toxins, and alcohol seems to be the one that is often spoken about. But uh, outside of alcohol, are there other substances that we really should be um, careful about in terms of uh, our consumption that do have a detrimental effect on the liver? Absolutely, Kathy. I'm so happy you asked that. That's, that's so important. Uh, you know, out there again, there's so many, you know, uh, over-the-counter medications that are advertised, whether it's for weight loss or, you know, uh, just for your better improvement of your overall health. These things are not benign. We have seen patients who have gone onto weight loss uh, tablets, who have gone into frank liver failure. 
So, you know, that is super important. The other really important uh, medication that people need to be so careful of are what we call non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or NSAIDs. And the big ones that we, you know, you often find are things like Nurofen, Grandpa, Advocadol. There's so many of them out there. Uh, it's really the active ingredient that we like to warn our patients about is Brufen. So Brufen, what it is, it's an anti-inflammatory and it does give pain relief and it is good in that sense, but it can be at the cost of the, the liver and also the stomach. It can cause gastritis and ulcers in the stomach, uh, but it can absolutely hurt the, the liver and the kidneys as well. And so, you know, it's very important and these drugs are very easily accessible. Uh, and, and, and the problem is they do work for, for various aches and pains, but we really try and... Uh, up and, and, and tell our patients to just really be careful and not use these drugs excessively. Uh, Panado itself is actually uh, it's, it's a good drug for things like headaches, provided it's used in the correct dose. So patients should not ever go more than one gram every six hours in a day. And the very important thing about Panado is Panado, if it's taken too much, if higher doses are taken, can cause liver failure. And again, this is a very easily obtainable medication. So really, the medication that people are able to access under the counter is not is often not as benign as it might seem. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, you, you mentioned the uh, weight loss or diet pills as well, yeah. and, and how detrimental that the use of some of them may be. Are there specific ingredients that we should be looking out for here? So again, uh, you know, there's so many different agents out there and they've got so many different mixes. It's hard to sort of, you know, pinpoint one specifically to look out for. I would really say that, you know, Brufin is the one that I I, I would like to uh, really warn people against uh, using too much of. And really, any weight loss tablets should not be taken at all without consultation from a medical doctor. Uh, that would just really be my strongest, uh, my strongest bit of advice. Yeah, and uh, I know Burofen. You know, we've we 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 loved Burofen from our teenage days because you sure. you start having your period, you get period pain, and uh, you know then the the advice is to say, okay, no, go take some Burofen, and it's so it's very popular uh, among women for 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 aches and pains uh, during that time of the month. Absolutely, absolutely, and again, it works. So this mm. is why it, it is such a popular, you know, agent. But again, having said that, it works, but at what cost? You know, if patients are using it regularly, they can, like I said, they can develop ulcers in their stomach, they can develop kidney dysfunction, and obviously, again, it can really hurt the liver. So, you know, once again, if if, if patients are experiencing severe aches and pains, uh, whether it's period pains or whether it's other pains, I would strongly suggest a medical practitioner and, and, and really exploring what other options are out there. And there are other options out there that are safer, uh, you know, and work equally as well. It's just it needs to be discussed with your medical practitioner. on the line there unfortunately we'll of course work to get him back up on the line but yeah that is very very important information that he's giving us uh, there about just the use of particularly some of what we just call general painkillers and these are very 
easily accessible drugs you know you you can just go to your local um your local pharmacy or even just uh, retailers and you'll be able to get access to some of these drugs and he says these are those that we need to watch out for because they're not um they they they're not they have an impact rather on our liver and in fact the overuse of them can contribute to the uh, to a deterioration in terms of the state of our liver so we'll continue the conversation with dr mark and like i said earlier we'll also be taking your calls i see some of the messages that you've already started to send through and we will certainly bring him back up on the line the talking point with Kathy Mosasana weekdays 9 a.m. till midday we're talking about the importance of the liver and how to best preserve it. Uh, Dr. Mark is joining us for that conversation. So, uh, Dr. Mark, I, I think it's really important just to acknowledge what you've told us and as far as uh, the over-the-counter uh, painkillers, as we call them, uh, are concerned and just the level of awareness that, that we need around that and the impact that the overuse of those substances can uh, have sometimes, or those drugs, rather, uh, can have yeah. on our liver. Let's talk then about alcohol because this is also the the big issue in a country like South Africa where specifically binge drinking is as high as it is. Yeah, absolutely. Look, uh, you know, alcohol is uh, it's a problem worldwide or rather when I say alcohol, I mean alcohol, you know, abuse and misuse. Um, and one thing that we've also seem to be noticing is after, you know, after COVID and people have been at home and, uh, there definitely seems to be an increase in the utilization of of alcohol, um, and 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 it's it's, it's quite alarming. Uh, I've spoken to various uh, colleagues, and, and it seems to be across the board. Uh, so the the amount of alcohol that patients or people rather utilize is important, uh, and as you mentioned again, how it's being utilized as well. So it's also different in men and in females. In in males. We talk about uh, the number of units that are consumed in a in a week. So a unit of alcohol is the equivalent of one sort of shot of a hard liquor, one glass of wine of about 125 mils, and a beer of 330 mils. That would equate to to one unit of alcohol. Now, in, in males, if a male is consuming more than or equal to 21 units a week, that's considered a significant amount of alcohol. And in females, if they are consuming more than or equal to 14 units a week. Uh, again, it's considered a significant amount of alcohol. And obviously, this is over you know, an extended period of time. We, we like to say that the liver is quite a forgiving organ until it's no longer forgiving. So um, you know, the key is for people to really stop drinking. And when they stop, we've seen that really patients can do so well and recover to a really large extent once the toxin has been removed. Many people, of course, want to push it for as long and as much as they can. And uh, the, the, the obvious question that sometimes arises is, well, how long do I have to be in the state effectively of, of, of not taking care of my liver, of over drinking, before I'm able to feel the consequences of that? Yeah. So, again, you know, it's a little, it's, it's a little bit difficult to, to give a an exact answer, you know, not everyone is the same, not every liver is the same. But, you know, I think the fact is if, if people are utilizing the substance on a regular basis and if it's becoming a crutch and if, if, if people have come up to, 
to that particular person and said, hey, look, I'm a little concerned. You know, I feel like you're drinking too much. You know, those are all alarm symptoms or signs. And, and, and it's at that point that action needs to be taken. Because if that gets left longer, you know, ultimately there will be permanent damage that is done to the liver. Uh, and the rest of the body, it's not, alcohol doesn't just affect the liver. It has got so many far-reaching effects on the other organs too. So, you know, I think, I think it's a combination of, you know, listening to the people around you. Also, you know, being, you know, intuitive to your own self, knowing that, am I actually, you know, relying on this now for whatever reason? And again, mm. a very big part of the management of, of, of alcohol misuse is getting to the crux of why is the person doing it? Is there a psychological component? Is it, is it, is it a habit-forming issue? Is there other issues that he's dealing with? Uh, so sometimes this is a patient's way into the healthcare system. JT in Mamelodi uh, has asked this question, Dr. Mark, and he yes. says, please ask, for chronic hepatitis B, what are the safe or recommended levels of services antigen and HBV DNA when on tenofovir? for more than two years? Okay, so that's a great question. Uh, so it's a little bit more detailed than just the values itself. You know, we, we, we look at uh, chronic hepatitis B and then we look at the E antigen as well. That tells us a little bit about the replicability or the replication rather of the virus, okay? And, uh, and then we do look at the viral load as well. Uh, surface antigen, we don't work out an actual TETA per se. If that's positive, it's positive. Uh, you know, the, the, the issue of treatment is a patient has to be on treatment once the, once it's been deemed that they need to be on therapy, it's for it's lifelong. And you're aiming for a viral load that's lower than detectable. We don't want to pick up any further viral load in the system. We don't only look at the viral load itself. We also look at the liver functions. We look at the, the, the ALT predominantly, okay, uh, and the AST. Those are markers of of inflammation of the liver. We're looking to see, you know, is there ongoing inflammation and damage to the liver? Because if there is, those increase the risk significantly of developing, you know, fibrosis, scarring, cirrhosis, and cancer. So the, 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 I suppose the simple answer is, on enough of a, we do not want the virus to be detectable. We want a normal liver function panel, and uh, we want to make sure that on sonar that the liver is looking normal and that, they are, that there's no cancer, but even with an undetectable viral load, we will still continue to monitor and survey patients for hepatocellular carcinoma because of the increased risk. Mm. I have another question here, and, and they're asking, how well does PEG interferon work? Okay, so we don't actually use PEG interferon really anymore. Uh, because we've got uh, very good anti-viral uh, you know, drugs and and tenofovir, is, for the audience, is actually one of the agents we use uh, to treat HIV. So uh, it's a very, very good drug. It's generally safe. Um, so we don't really use PEG interferon anymore. We really generally mainly use uh, this oral therapy. Okay. Uh, and Dr. Mark, I've got another question here. Yes. Your, <laughs> Our listeners are so nervous. Hi, Kathy. Does the doctor personally drink alcohol? And what is his take on rapid energy drinks like uh, Monster, etc.? 
So can I choose to defer uh, the first <laughs> question? You know, <laughs> we can, they can call me personally and we can have a chat about that. Um, but in terms of uh, the energy drinks, um, look, the energy drinks are, 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 I've got a lot of sugar in them. They've got a lot of caffeine in them. They've got lots of stuff in them. Uh, I would say, again, anything in moderation would probably be okay. We actually, interestingly enough, uh, from a liver point of view, Black coffee, so filter coffee is actually very, very good for a fatty liver. So if a patient has got fatty liver disease, right, uh, one, we, we actually tell our patients they should be drinking about three to five cups of black coffee a day. And actually, it's really good for the liver. But in terms of the energy drinks, my concern is what else is in them. Besides the caffeine, I'm sure there's heaps of sugar, there's heaps of other agents. And, 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 and I would sort of say to have that on a very mild to moderate basis and not to be dependent upon it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Mark, did you just say that you recommend five cup, cups of coffee for those who suffer from fatty liver disease? Correct. So three above in excess of three cups of black coffee, filter mm-hmm. coffee a day is good for the liver. So that means do not add milk, do not add sugar, do not add uh, candorel or anything to that effect. But the actual, in its purest form, filter coffee is good for a fatty liver. And, and we know that in excess of three cups, three cups a day and more is healthy. It's healthy for a fatty liver. Yes. Uh, how else do you uh, deal with those who, who are suffering from fatty liver disease? Because, uh, again, when, when you look at some of the the images of of what a fatty liver looks like it just looks you know sometimes it's fat on the organ and it's as if you can just sure. cut it off but that's that's not exactly how it works no. is it no no so look i mean fatty liver disease uh, the name has actually changed it used to be called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease it's actually the name has changed to something called metabolic associated fatty liver disease now mm. and really it's a very complex uh, you know disease process like I said, it, comes, it, it, it uh, holds the same company in patients who have got who are overweight, who have got diabetes, who have got uh, you know lipid problems as well. And really, what happens is that, it, like I say, you get this deposition of fat in the liver, and that fat in the liver is not benign. It doesn't just sort of light up on the sonar and off you go, no problem. That fat in the liver is actually active and it causes further inflammation in the liver and in fact if changes which we'll allude to now are not made obviously that can also cause cirrhosis and it can also cause cancer in the liver and ultimately require a patient to have a liver transplant so it's really really important and, and you know what we advise our patients is they need to try and at, at all costs well when i say all costs naturally speaking without taking you know, things like fat burners and all that, as we mentioned earlier, but, you know, to really try and lose at least 10% of their body weight, right? So if someone comes in and they're 100 kilos, they need to lose 10 kilograms, and they need to keep that weight off for at least, you know, over a period of six months to a year. And by losing that weight, the, the fat gets absorbed out of the liver, and the liver does recover. So that really, again, speaks to what? It speaks to a healthy lifestyle. It speaks to the correct diet. It speaks to exercising regularly. Patients, people, the general person should be doing at least 30 minutes of cardiovascular exercise five times a week, you know, which is not something easy to achieve, but it's important. 
So these are the natural ways that we, we, we try and encourage our patients, you know, a good eating plan, exercise, you know, diet, that sort of thing is also important. There are medications that we utilize to help patients. Uh, but, you know, again, that would be, you know, a patient coming, seeing a doctor and having a, a conversation regarding all of that. Mm. All right. Let me, let me go to our callers as well. Uh, Sia, good morning. You're calling us from Tabeja. Good morning, Kathy. Thank you for taking my call and the opportunity to contribute. I I have a question for the good doctor there. However, I just want to give him a little bit of a background just to put things into context. So for all my life, um, as a young teenager, I discovered when I went to donate blood that I had HPV. And, uh, you know, the nurses obviously believed at the time that I must have got it from my parents. But it was not active. So they said there's nothing to worry about, you know. And then um, that was in my hometown. Then I moved to Kadeha at a fairly young age. I've been here now for more than 20 years. Um, you know, on my arrival here, for many years, for about 10 years, I always suffered from chronic, um, you know, nasal infection and hay fever, you know. And uh, the doctors used to prescribe a lot on the antibiotics for a very long time. And uh, so at some point then, around uh, early or after 2010, I believe, or in fact around 2013, um, I began to develop, you know, sort of chronic pain around my upper quadrant. And, you know, for several years, doctors really couldn't understand this. Um, I think for about two years until one doctor, a specialist, um, actually, uh, you know, dug up in my history and I told them about HPV and they actually cared enough to test me, which they found that my um, HPV has reactivated, uh, had a high viral load, and that was obviously the pain that was causing. And so he prescribed me, um, you know, some antivirals and uh, the same pain subsided, but I still continued to have this chronic pain. Um, my viral load was very low, and they still couldn't understand. Until I, um, you know, uh, consulted with an alternative uh, sort of medicine doctor, who then said, you know, um, as a result of this, you know, exposure to antibiotics, I have developed what he called a sort of un- uh, fungal infection in my, um, you know, in my colon. Um, which then sort of partly in, invaded my liver. And that's what created my HPV to reactivate. So I'd like to ask the doctor, um, has he got any knowledge of such? And uh, mm-hmm. I, must, uh, I must say that ever since I started, uh, you know, going on an anti-fungal, sort of um, you know, diet and so on, uh, the pain has since subsided, you know, it comes a little bit here mm-hmm. or there. I've been finding it very difficult to convince the Western doctors to prescribe mm. or to put me on an antifungal to, you know, sort of get rid of my invasive uh, uh, because they, they don't, it's just simply not interested in that sort of, they just couldn't understand a healthy young man could develop, an, uh, you know, a fungal infection. They say it's almost impossible. Uh, it right. happens to people that are very sick or very low in immune system and so on. And, uh, you know, so I'm living with that kind of uh, balance now where I have to take my um, antivirals, but also 
kind of trying to uh, prevent my invasive uh, fungal infection, you know. All right, Sia. Yes. Okay. Yeah, let, let, let's leave it there for now, Sia. Let me give Dr. Mark an opportunity uh, to come in. Okay, so thanks very much for the, the, the question and the comment. Uh, it, it's quite a detailed sort of situation. My, my first question sort of back to, to Sia is whether or not he's had an ultrasound, if he's having a, annual sonars to be done to look at his liver as well as to rule out cancers. That's my first thing. Uh, that, that I would like him to be able to just tell me, just for his own health, it's very important, to, as I mentioned earlier, with chronic hepatitis B. The issue with this fungal infection, it's, it's very difficult to be able to prove that that's what's been going on. You know, yes, there are issues. If patients are given chronic antibiotics over time, they can develop uh, rather bacterial infections or worsening of bacterial issues in the gut, uh, something called Clostridium difficile, which is just an overgrowth of that particular uh, organism of, of overuse of antibiotics. That's not a fungal infection, though. So, I, I, unfortunately, I, I don't think there's any evidence that there is an, that there's a fungal issue going on. And for my mind, I think you need further workup. Yes, I'm more the Western doctoring kind of, you know, uh, court that side of the court. And I, I just my concern is I don't know if you've had an adequate workup. And so my advice would be that you would, you should be seeing on a regular basis, a, a gastroenterologist and hepatologist or a physician who's going to monitor the chronic hepatitis B and the issues surrounding it. Okay. Uh, Sia, I certainly hope that that information will help. Vusi in Joburg, I want to take you very quickly because you've been holding for so long. Hello, Vusi. Yes, uh, I, I want to be short. Uh, I have a DVT behind my knee. The doctor understands what is DVT. So sure. behind my knee, I had the corona before. Then I developed a DVT. So I'm taking warfarin. Sure. And I know every every tablet goes to a liver. So I want to know from the doctor, because I, I also have what gout. So when I take Turicos, I, I just, I, I, I'll, I'll go to, 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 to wheelchair because it, it doesn't work. It, it makes it worse when I'm taking Turicos. So I want doctor to to help me because before I get any damage from my my my, my liver, because I'm taking um, pain tablets every day. Even now I'm sitting in the car, I I have pains every day for this gout. Sometimes I use sticks. So I don't know. Maybe doctor can tell me to go to a specialist in order to prevent my liver to be damaged because every day I'm taking the the, the what the, the, the painkillers. And I'm not allowed to take the Kepenek and the Diclofenek yeah. because I'll bleed and die. So uh, my life is terrible. I even took a medical aid. So if you can tell me where must I go for this gout, maybe the specialist will help me. Mm. Oh, we'll Thank you. I'm, I'm so sorry to hear about your story. Dr. Mark? Yes. Yeah. So I'm very sorry that you're taking so much strain. That you're, you're in so much pain. You know, we never like to to hear that sort of a thing ever. Uh, look, you know, it's, 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 again, it's a little difficult over the, the radio, over the phone to make a clear recommendation uh, in that regard. My, my feeling is, you know, you would need to see, maybe start off at a general practitioner and then be referred on to a physician, right? You know, gout, there are treatments for gout for an acute flare and there are treatments for, uh, to prevent a flare, so to keep you sort of in remission from the gout. 
Puricos keeps you in remission. But if you're having flare-ups, there's a very, very good agent called colchicine, which we use frequently for our patients who have a, an acute flare-up of gout. Uh, that, again, you know, would require a prescription, and it really would require you to, uh, to, to be seen by a, a medical practitioner before prescribing things like this, because we need to also make sure that it is gout and nothing else. Uh, you know, in terms of the warfarin and the DVT, you would need to be on that for a short period of time, hopefully, because I'm assuming or well, I'm hoping that it was just the COVID that caused the DVT. Once you've been on therapy on the warfarin for three to six months, hopefully it can be stopped and you don't need to worry about that warfarin any further. But the big issue is the painkillers that you're taking, and I'm concerned that it's, well, a lot of those that we spoke about earlier, KFENAC is part of that class of medication that I spoke about that you need to be very careful of. So really the, 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 the short answer, my friend, is you need to be assessed by a medical practitioner. I would start mm-hmm. as a general practitioner. They would do a workup and then hopefully refer you on to a physician or gastroenterologist to help you with these problems. And Dr. Mark, very quickly, I've got a question here from the alternatives that particularly women can take for period pain. Yeah, so look... Um, we, we do sometimes sort of think about things like codeine derivatives. So that's something like still pain or stow pain are good, are, are good agents. They're safer on the liver, right? Mm. Uh, you know, those are some of the agents we would recommend. Again, uh, probably the gynees are very good people to speak to in that regard too. They're all very well aware that we don't like our patients using long-term Eurofen, so to speak, or equivalents. Uh, but just sort of, you know, Again, over the, the, the radio already, things that Cody derivatives are probably safer. And I say that with tongue in cheek because that has its own issues, right? So <laughs> there's no perfect tablet that's going to be absolutely 100%, right? So right. And each patient is different and each patient profile is different. All so right. I would Mark? sort of advise, yeah. All right, let's leave it there for today. But I really, really appreciate your time and coming on to the show. It's been uh, incredibly insightful and and really appreciate that you made time for us. Okay, that's also where we leave it on the talking point. Tomorrow, we focus on the State of the Nation address. Of course, the president giving his speech later on in the evening. For now, it's over to uh, Sakina Kamwendo on the update at noon.